You're listening to Recover, a podcast exploring what it means to rediscover something we lost inside ourselves. Whether through addiction, grief, or trauma, we're all connected by the feelings of sometimes losing our way. Let's unlearn what got us here and find ourselves again together. And now your host, founder and facilitator at Invitation Wellness, Sierra Frost. You're listening to Recover. I'm Sierra Frost, and on this episode, I have a wonderful gift of a woman, Denise O'Malley, joining us. Thank you for being here, Denise. Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll just dive right in, if that's okay with you. When you you hear the word recover or recovery, how do you relate this concept to your life or what comes to mind? Mm, That's a really good question. Um, Having gone through um, recovery in terms of identifying the fact that I had exceeded my lifetime allotment of alcohol, Uh, There's obviously that recovery, but there's other recovery that has taken place in my life as well, from dysfunctional family relationships to um, losing myself, and particularly when I came out of the alcoholism and trying to find who I was and recover my own personality, my own self-identity, I didn't know who I was anymore, and that has been a recovery process. Definitely. I think that regardless of what specific thing that we're recovering from, like externally, it could present itself as alcohol or dysfunction or anger or abuse or whatever it is. There, I think the beautiful thing that you just said is that there's always this element of recovering ourselves, of getting back to who we were before we learned all of these other things that created the addiction or the experience. And we're really searching to unlearn those things and get back to our core, our soul or our spirit or whatever someone wants to use the word for that. So in the hour or so that we have together now, because you are complex and there's probably many things, as you said, that you could share today, what part of your story do you feel called to share with me and with listeners now? So let's talk about um, finding yourself, uh, because that's been a huge part of my world, particularly in the last few years. And, you know, my story, I don't think is all that different from a lot of people out there there, although at the time I felt it was unique to me, and that is I don't think I ever really knew who I was. Um, And looking back over my lifetime, I really came to realize that I never had my own opinions. It was always my parents' opinions and um, doing what they wanted, or my grandparents' opinions, or then it became my first husband's opinions. And I, I mean, if somebody asked me what my opinion was on politics, I wouldn't have been able to give them an answer or religion or any of those things that all contribute to who we are as a person. I was great in business. I was confident. People would be floored to hear that I had this 
underlying sense of lack of a sense of who I was because I was so confident in business and I, I soared in business and I built an incredible resume and I had all these accomplishments that are, were going on, but that was all about the ego. It had nothing to do with who Denise is. And I, I think the message that I want to make sure that I put out there today is you are not alone in that. There are a lot of people who feel that way. I did my entire life. And it wasn't until I got out from underneath the cloud of alcohol, which let's face it, that was a buffer with for me from protecting myself from the world and not having to be. Um, but just stopping drinking did not have that eye-opening uh, response of, okay, oh, so this is who you are. I literally, when I stopped drinking, I didn't know who the hell I was. And I was... Uh, floundering but what i realized is i started feeling again and that was one of the key things is that i wasn't allowed to feel as a kid emotions were not something we talked about in my family at all and um i started feeling for probably the first time in my life and i started realizing things and, and trying to tune into what i was feeling and it was very much realizing at that point in time what i hated about my life um, but if somebody asked me what I like to do, I couldn't tell them I like to go bike riding. I like to go hiking. I didn't know if I did. I just would do those things because somebody would say, hey, come along. But did I like it? So, I mean, it was really getting down to the bare essence. And the big thing for me was my spirituality and a lack of it. And it was through exploring that and getting some really good advisors and help that I started realizing finding my own identity but I still have a tendency to lose it when I get so wrapped up in business again so but that's really the message I want to put out there is that you know we're not alone we're we're more alike than we are not alike and um it's okay but you got to do something about it you got to be aware of it first of all Definitely. I, I relate to a lot of the things that you're saying, and there's some really brilliant points in there that I, I want to highlight because I think they're so relatable to people who are listening today. The first is you described kind of the sense of attachment to your career because it was something that you could feel good about, and it, it almost had this, this sense of understanding who you were and the only way that you knew how, and it came from this very external place. And so we hear the phrase, we're not human doings, we're human beings quite often, but what does that really mean? And, and we, we kind of have this sense in our culture that we are, we attach our identity to degrees or to our careers or to what we own. And it's hard sometimes if we imagine ourselves outside of that work or outside of the title of a degree or the title of a job or the title of being a parent or whatever that title is, that identity is, we suddenly go, and I think this is what you're describing, we suddenly go, wait, who am I? Where am I? And it's like this completely unknown space and the unknown can be really scary to human beings. And so we do things to avoid feeling so in this space of unknown. And one of those things that we do is we use substances to numb 
that emotion. Especially another thing that you said that I want to highlight, because we are often brought up in homes that just simply didn't have the resources to teach us about emotional intelligence. We didn't have the, because of generations of not knowing how to address these things, we think of emotions oftentimes as negative or we don't know how to label them. We don't know what to do if we do label them. We know that sometimes there's an element of suffering to them that we can't avoid, but we try and avoid it and we do that by numbing. So can you talk a little bit more, and you can tell me if I summarize that in a way that's not accurate, but I would like to ask you a little bit deeper about that storyline for you. What what was the connection between sort of attaching yourself to this work that you were really good at, but then using alcohol to almost protect yourself from the personal is what I'm what I'm hearing from you. Um, the journey was it, it was it was really kind of interesting for me. In my first marriage, it was very um, emotionally and verbally abusive. And the irony is, is I did not drink with my first husband. Um, and the reason why I didn't is because when he drank, he got really mean and nasty and things happened. And so I limited my drinking to when I'd go to conventions or conferences, you know, away from town. And I, I didn't have a stop meter. Um, there was, it, my glass was a bottomless glass and I just... I would come home with stories of being drunk um, and he would get angry that I wouldn't go drinking with him. And it was just this the really dysfunctional world we lived in. And it, it, it lasted for about 10 years. And then in my um, second marriage, it was when I, I met my husband in a bar. <laughs> it's really kind of the irony. Um, and I became his drinking buddy. Um, but he had this side to him that, I was always craving for, and it was uh, because I'd been on the spiritual search for my entire life and, and not understanding what religion was all about or spirituality. And uh, here was this long-haired, hippie dude, massage therapist, spiritual, into woo-woo kind of guy who I met at a bar, and we became um, the drinking buddies. But he, it, Initially in our relationship, he was challenging me on my emotions, my feelings, my spirituality, and it was a real disruptor for me, and I wasn't really certain if it was going to be a relationship that was going to be going for a long time, and then um, fate intervened, and I got pregnant, and suddenly we're together for life, right? Um, and it was a good, but it's a good thing. Don't get me wrong when I say that. It was not <laughs> like I was thrust into a marriage I didn't want to have. I was perfectly okay with being a single mom if that's what was going to happen, but that's not where our relationship went. But then as time went on, um, we we just became, you know, the the drinking buddies more and more and more. And, um, until we both finally had a wake up call. Um, but 
And I'm not certain if I've answered your question because I've gone off on a tangent there. But, uh, you know, that this is just all part of my story is just the evolution of it and that it was not a light switch that suddenly got turned on and I started drinking. But it was to numb. It was to numb the dissatisfaction of my career, which was the, you know, the funny thing about it because that's where I got all my identity from and that's where I got the accolades from. But the fact was is I hated what I was doing. I just happened to be good at it. And I didn't have, I didn't understand the word passion and, um, and having a path or a, where was I going in life? I didn't have a story there. And, um, it literally was a, a, there was a turning point as there is always a turning point. Um, something happened that, uh, forced both of us to leave drinking and the story itself is not, uh, important. And, uh, digs into some stuff that uh, the, we don't need to go into here. But um, what happened with me is I, I literally embarrassed myself at my daughter's school. I showed up to a function I was a volunteer for, and I was dead-ass drunk, and nobody said anything to me. I was just mortified by it the next day. And I have not had a drink since that day, and that was over seven years ago. Um, but that's what forced me into waking up and saying, okay, you need to get your shit together, Denise. Um, and you need to figure out exactly what's going on in your world and, uh, and start finding a path. I didn't even know what that meant. Um, but I was willing at that point because I was so mortified from the event that I was willing to take a step forward. I didn't know what it was going to be, but it was just, all you have to do is just take one step in a different direction and then another step. And it was a long process. Um, it took me four years before I finally identified what my path was and, um, launched my journey. And those four years, it was hard. It was really, really hard. But, you know, I just kept taking those steps forward. And then literally it was an overnight, oh, my gosh, that's exactly what I need to be doing. And I started, I plunged into it head first. Um, one of the, my, the difficulty I had was I plunged head first into a new career and a new path. And I adopted all my old ways with the exception of the drinking. And I threw myself 100% into the business and literally worked it 24-7, literally had a notebook with me everywhere I went. And then until one day when I woke up and said, okay, who are you again? You've lost yourself again. It's time to stop. You need to focus on you because you're not going to be good to the world if you're not focusing on who you are. Yeah. Another brilliant thing you just said was <laughs> we, have, we have an addiction to something. In this case, it's alcohol. But that's not really the problem. That's nope. not really the thing that we're wanting to change. The thing that we're wanting to change is the deeper root of it, which is what you are sharing right now, that you didn't know who you were. And so the same type of cycle begins to happen again, even though you changed careers, even though your career is more fulfilling, even though you discovered what passion maybe felt like a little bit for you. And so what, what happened after that when you, you realized, as we heal, I want to give permission for us all to consider this. Healing is not necessarily something that's one and done. 
Maybe it is. <laughs> no, it's Ma- not. There's no magic wand. <laughs> Maybe it is for somebody. I've never met that person, though. <laughs> so it's more like if you consider a spiral and and you're moving up the spiral, but you keep cycling back to these ideas. So just like you described kind of being attached to the identity of your career in the beginning and then using alcohol to to numb that pain and then you come back you're you're wiser you're a little bit more healed right you're further up in in the level of it but you spiral back and you're in this this new space and recognizing oh here's this pattern again that I've seen before what happened then um, well, at least at that point in time, I had new tools uh, because I had been filling my toolbox of life uh, along the way with taking those steps forward. And one of the tools was I, I literally have to force myself to put myself first sometimes. Um, I literally have to honor my when I say, you know, I'd really like to try something or I'd really like to do this. I have to honor it and I have to go do it. And sometimes that means by myself and I don't like doing things like that by myself. I want to have a buddy in in it. But the fact is the buddy is me. Uh, The buddy is my inner child that I'm taking with me and I'm, and I'm honoring those things. So, I mean, things as simple as um, sitting and having a cup of coffee in the morning before the house starts getting moving around in my little chair in my, you know, private little office um, and reading a book that's for, pleasure um as opposed to the self-help it is a form of self-help for me uh it's you know one of the things i wanted to do for myself was i wanted to play with oracle cards um and i finally bought myself a couple of sets for christmas i mean literally i'd been saying it for so long hoping somebody would hear the the need and and fill it for me and realizing no no you got to fill your own needs so I, you know, I play with those. It's, it, is it anything in depth? No, but it gives me comfort. Some people read their horoscope every morning. I pull an Oracle card and I think about it and I contemplate. I do a lot of writing um, and, and focusing on that. And occasionally I'll pull out the jigsaw puzzle and I'll do something like that. But it's, it's listening to myself and asking myself, what do you need? And, you know, sometimes it's, hey, you know what, Denise, you need a salad. It's so I'm taking care of nurturing myself. And it's work. I no doubt about it because I have to focus on it. You, I, I existed believing life was supposed to be simple because it was as a child, even though it was a dysfunctional family, our needs are met for us. Well, there's no one meeting my needs for me. It has to be me. And so it's it's just being aware of this and moving forward. And, you know, as simple as working to set up my new my home office to do professional videos. And um, I have my lighting that set up and I have my microphone now. And now I'm working on the backdrop. These things are actually really exciting for me because they're using the creative juices. And I think that's part of the whole process is that I realized my creativity, whether it be creating marketing materials for business or painting, uh, which I'm a horrible painter. But I get joy out of it. And that's good for me. 
Um, so it's, it's just learning to honor yourself and giving yourself permission to honor yourself. I think that's probably the bigger thing. Definitely. And the other thing I hear you say is giving yourself permission to explore and find what those things truly are for you. Because Mm -hmm. a lot of times with self-care, we are kind of pressured or marketed to that it looks a certain way, that it should be going to yoga or it should be getting a massage or it should be a salt bath or whatever. And if that's what works for you, then absolutely go for it. But one of my favorite things to to sort of compare to self-care is an orgasm. If you are forcing yourself because you think it's what you should do, because you think it's what you should do for other people around you, it's not good. It's mm-hmm. not fulfilling. It's not rejuvenating. It might not even work, right? So it's it's important that the self-care is coming from us. Yes. And who gives a shit if your painting is quote unquote good or not, (laughs) right? That's not the point. The point is that I felt orgasmic when I painted that picture, (laughs) you know? It's that, you know, I, one thing I want to point out though, is that when you're, when you're having your awakening, um, for me deciding that, you know, that the event at my daughter's school was definitely an awakening for me is finding the tool to help you while you're in this bridge gap before you start thinking for yourself. And, you know, for me, it was AA. Um, it was, uh, it was hard going to that first AA meeting. I'd actually stopped AA for a long time on the internet to, you know, what I, what I, this is scary, you know, and I'm not as bad as those people over there. You know, I haven't Mm. lost anything. I still have my house. I still have my family, still have my job. I still, I had lost my dignity, dignity. I'd lost my self-respect and I lost all my friends to alcoholism. Um, my half of the wedding party died from alcoholism, all of them. So, you know, I had lost a lot, but what going into AA gave me, uh, was for a period of time, the structure that I needed. Um, the support mechanism, the, you know, my first meeting, somebody came up to me and said, so you're going to do 90 and 90. I didn't know what 90 and 90 was. And, and so I asked and she said, well, going to 90 meetings in 90 days. And I was like, Oh, you know, I, I really don't have a problem that much with alcohol. I just, you know, kind of like a little support. And she pretty much got in my face and said, no, you need to do 90 and 90 or else you will start drinking again. And I didn't understand the value of that. And so I, it was like, okay, I'll be a good little girl. I'll go to the 90, 90. I'll get my coins every week. I'll get my coins every month. And I did all of that. And what it, what I found is that it, it provided the structure I needed, the support that I needed while I got that, the drinking part, the crisis part passed me. And it also provided us with community um, because we would go to the the functions and we would be amongst other people who were um, alcoholics. And uh, it it provided that community until one day we just kind of, we both woke up and said, you know what, I'm really tired of talking about drinking. Because that's all you do when you go to an AA meeting, you're talking about drinking. And we were tired of talking about drinking. We were also tired of going to a meeting and finding out somebody that we loved died of alcoholism that had been going to the meetings too. 
And um, that became really heavy. And, and it's a great organization. And it's perfect for those who need that support. But we found other supports. We found um, our church was, we called it AA301 because it just seemed like it was a, a more spiritual level of the principles that we were learning in AA. And so we threw ourselves into our church. And, you know, now we're at another path. Um, we're at a plateau of where we were with that growth. And it's funny because my husband and I are in the exact same place in our paths. And we have been since day one. This is really phenomenal and it's unusual. And I know it. Um, but now we're looking at, okay, what's the next thing that we're going to be moving um, towards? What you, And we're looking and struggling a little bit at that. But we are. it's great because we now have the tools to be able to say, is this what I want? Is this you know, going to a new meeting, a new church and saying, okay, did we like this? Um, the people are nice, but is this what we need for our own growth? So it's been kind of interesting to be at a new, um, a, a, a fork in the road is what it is. Uh, but we now have the tools to be able to make those um, determinations of where we go. And you know, if it's not AA, there are so many people I have come to know in my world now dealing with alternative and holistic and health um, and wellness practitioners that I didn't know existed. It was like, where were you three years ago? Where were you seven years ago? Holy cow, this is awesome. I didn't know there were people out there who were ready to help. And then it's finding those tools and learning from all of them. Yeah, the path of recovery looks so different to every person. And yet, I think that moment that you described after the experience at your daughter's school of, I know that the pain of staying where I'm at right now is finally greater than moving yeah. forward, and I have yeah. no idea how to move forward, is something that we all experience regardless of what the thing yeah. is that we're recovering from. We all have this moment of, I, I now know what I didn't know before, but I don't know what to do yet. And I think that's huge out there. Um, you know, I, I put uh, people into uh, four categories, especially when I'm working with them at the workplace. And it's called the can'ts, the shan'ts, the don'ts, and the won'ts. Um, and the don'ts category is it's about 61% of the people in any group that I, I meet with. Those don'ts are the people who say, um, I don't have the time, I don't have the money to take care of myself. Um, but the bigger thing is, is I don't know, I don't do anything for myself. And I don't know where to begin. And I think that's huge is that, you know, kind of moving over to the business side of things just for a quick second is that we have taught um, society very well that when something is wrong with you, you turn to the medical insurance plan. And so there is an entire generation, if not two generations, maybe even three generations that don't know anything outside of their medical insurance plan. And so they're at a loss at this other world that exists out there that they don't understand it. They're, they may, you know, stock it on Internet like I did with um, AA, where they're learning a little bit about it. And maybe they visit some of these pages, but, man, they're just not really sure how to dip their toes in the water. And the one thing that I can say is pick up the phone and call or send out a message on social media to someone who intrigues you about what it is they're doing to heal the world. And just ask those questions because they want to share that knowledge with you. And, you know, I didn't know that existed. Of course, seven years ago, the Internet wasn't quite what it is today. Um, 
so I had to find my way, uh, and I and I didn't know this that there were people out there who could help me. So I started with AA, and then I moved into it. And what's really funny is um, I, I won't disclose names, but there are people who I am now affiliated with uh, that are health and wellness professionals that were in my AA groups. And I didn't know that, you know, I wish that I had, um, but they had their own issues that they were dealing with. So, you know, helping me that way, that wasn't, they, they were best helping me through AA, but, you know, they've been there, they've walked the path, they understand it and they found a different way out. So, you know, for anybody who's thinking about, okay, I need to do a change in my life, man, there's people out there to help you. I'm telling you, there's a ton. And all it is is finding the one that's right for you and that makes you you're comfortable um, going down that path. You don't have to jump off the deep end to the swimming pool. You can wade in. And um, there's a whole world out there. Definitely. And part of your story that's really powerful is that it doesn't always have to be the first thing that you try. Counseling, yes. especially, I hear from people, oh, I've done that before. It didn't work. Well, how many counselors did you try? Just the one. Well, that, does, you know, everyone's different and every every time of your life is different. And maybe it's something like you describe where AA serves as a bridge and helps for a while and then you move on to something else. Some people join AA and they love it for their entire life. Some people might go for one meeting and decide that's not the thing. But don't give up there is what I'm hearing from you. And I agree with that. Keep asking the question. What else could I try without locking yourself in there? So there, there is flexibility and options to continue. And I want to just really specifically give permission to everyone to change your mind, to try something and to say, eh, not really for me and try something else. Yeah. You know, recovery also implies something else and recovery implies that you want to do something about it. Or you wanted to do something about it. You know, I lost, I mentioned that at my wedding party um, had died. And my best friend um, literally sat down on her couch one day and died um, from alcoholism. And we, her family tried to get her into a recovery program, a treatment program. Her parents were willing to pay for it. Um, and she didn't want to recover. She didn't want to feel um, what had been so bad in her life for so many years that she wasn't willing to come out of it. And that tears me up now almost uh, every day still. And, and she's been gone for well over a decade. But, um, you know, that was an example. That was also not enough to get me to make any changes in my life. How scary is that? And then when the second friend died, uh, also of alcoholism, that wasn't enough to scare me into making a change because, you know, I wasn't as bad as they were. Um, it, it really has to be that you've got to have that flame, even if it's just a teeny tiny little spark inside of yourself that says, I'm not happy with where I am. I know there's got to be better. If they can have a good life, why can't I have one too? I, and then make it, you got to do something about it. But there are those, you know, who will never enter recovery because they don't want to make a change. And that's just so incredibly sad. Yeah, definitely. And that's their choice and that's their life. And I think one of the things, especially 
when, when we have been in a lifestyle of recovery and we understand, and when I say understand, I mean, we know it in our bones. We know it in the work that we have been doing for days or weeks or years or decades. We know the reason why we put forth such effort and such work because the payoff is greater than that. But if someone has not experienced that for themselves, there's no way for us to be able to give them that knowing. We can describe it to them. We can try and bang it into their heads as much as possible. We can sign them up for classes. We could bring them books. But it doesn't matter until they have the spark that you're talking about. And so I, I want to invite us just as a culture to everyone listening to just drop out of any judgment that people's behaviors are people. So I'm going to say that again. A person is not their behavior. Yeah. So the addiction is not who they are. It's what they are doing and it's their life. And ultimately they get to decide how they're spending it, whether or not we agree with it, whether or not we quote unquote know better. And yes, we want them to experience the joy of recovery, the, the passion and the fulfillment that there is outside of that life of addiction and all we can do is continue to model it, to continue to love them, regardless of any outcome, regardless of if they ever make that choice. And that's really how people start to notice and start to make change is when they're given the most compassion possible. You know, I, there's one thing that I would want, I want to make sure that we put in this before um, we move away, because I think we have an important platform here to share this. And that is um, for the people that we look at that we think have it all together. And what I mean by that is when I, I only admitted that I went into AA about three years ago, um, not even three years ago, I finally became public with it. There were a few people who knew, but not very many. And uh, even my own husband, when I decided to go into AA was shocked that I went into it. And one of the things that I'm leading to here is sometimes we think somebody has it all together. They've got a great career. They got an incredible background and resume. They've got the husband, they've got the kids, they've got the house, you know, everything is going great. Um, you know, sometimes those high performing professionals, men or women are more afraid to admit that they are have faults and that was me um it was really hard for me to admit to people that i'm just like everyone else um it, because people looked at my six-figure career and the positions that i held and i couldn't admit to people that man i'm broken i'm really broken on the inside and it shocked family members um it shocked some friends that i had and so uh, you know, just to be supportive of anyone and everyone and to say, even if you are, if you are in a position where you feel that um, I can't admit my faults to the world, they'll think less of me. And I'm going to tell you that they'll think less of you if you don't. 
um, and you fall apart at some point in the future. It's okay to admit that you are suffering from depression. It's okay to admit that you have suicidal feelings. It's okay to admit that you're an alcoholic or that you have an addiction to opiates. Chances are people already know that anyways. Um, it, but it's okay to admit that you don't know who you are or that you suffered from abuse when you were a child. And the more people who speak up about this and say, yeah, I'm one of those too. I, you know, the Me Too movement, the best thing I think that's happened to our country in a long time. Um, but to be able to know that you have that support out there because it, you're, you're one of many. Um, there are very few people who really have it all together. Um, and I just encourage anyone to, if, if you're feeling anything that is like, I'm resonating with you, it's okay to reach out and find help. Definitely. And it is, you started with this idea that we are not unique. We all have our own individual experience for sure, but there are so many more people out there than you realize who experience addiction, who have experienced abuse, who feel shame and guilt and like you are the only person in the planet, on the planet that experiences these things. And it's simply not true because at least statistically 20 to 25% of adults have mental health illness, substance abuse being included in that umbrella. And that's just statistics. And a lot of us, I'm not a statistic. I, I just don't have a diagnosis, but I know that I would be if that was something that I felt was helpful for me. So we can, we can assume that there, there are more of us out there and there definitely are. And I can speak to that because I know coming out with my story of being sexually abused as a child, dozens and dozens of messages popped up in my inbox when I started talking about that publicly in a small town in Alaska of less than 5,000 people at that time. Dozens and dozens of messages in my inbox saying, I've never told anyone this, but gosh, I need to tell someone. And now I know that I can tell you because you have experienced the same thing. So yes. part, part of why we're in this space of this podcast is to normalize what we almost all of us are going through in some way. Yeah. We are recovering from something and trying to get back a piece of us that we lost or forgot in the process of living, really. Oh, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, when I decided to be public, and uh, this year when I celebrated my seventh birthday in AA, I actually um, put it on Facebook. And I had, that was the first time I had put anything that publicly. And, you know, here's the funny thing. I still haven't told my parents that I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want, they don't, they're not on Facebook. They're not on Facebook, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it's a moot point. It doesn't matter anymore, um, you know, for our relationship. They know I don't drink, but they don't know that there was anything that led up to it. And it's okay. It doesn't matter. People don't have to know the story. The whole point is having the courage to say you have a story. And I, but it was amazing how many people came out and said, oh, my gosh, I, I just celebrated, um, you know, three years or 30 days. And I'm finding really interesting in my Facebook feed over the last couple of weeks, the number of people who are announcing how long they've gone without a drink now. And I never saw that before. That's beautiful. And I love the sense of connection. So without taking up too much time in the science of this 
but we hear the phrase that connection is the opposite of addiction quite often. And part of the reason why we make that that comparison is that a lot of the chemicals that we are receiving from an addiction, whether it's substance or emotional eating or shopping, it doesn't matter. You're still flooding your system with a certain type of chemical that give you a certain emotion, which is usually uh, joy or excitement or or happiness or fulfillment in some regard. And then, and then that chemical goes away and then we want it back. So we go back to whatever that addiction is similar and the same chemicals that we get when we hear a story from the beginning to the middle to the end. Same as when we tell our story in the beginning, the middle, and the end. Our brain and our bodies literally get flooded with oxytocin, which is our love chemical. It's the same thing that we get when we hug for a long and and deep period of time. It's the same thing we get when we orgasm. It's the same thing we get when we give birth, when we look into each other's eyes. So telling our story and hearing stories is literally giving us what we're asking for when we're using other ways in the form of addiction to to get to that. So connection with other humans is huge and it can feel uncomfortable and scary, especially at the beginning. But if you find someone, like you said earlier, Denise, that you resonate with, Or even there's just this little intuition inside of you that's like pulling you like maybe that person has some thing that I should know. I don't know what that is yet, but maybe just sending them a message and asking them to have coffee or talk over the phone or something could really help. Yeah. And I want to invite you, Denise, to talk now more about how your recovery process And these ideas really play into the work that you're doing in the world with You Define Wellness. Denise is the founder of You Define Wellness, and I'll let her talk about this network of practitioners and how she is bringing all of these dozens and dozens of different avenues of healing and service to the world that maybe we didn't know existed before. Okay. So I'll give you a a short version of it. You may not think it's a short version, but trust me, it's the short version. Um, My dissatisfaction with my career after I stopped drinking uh, grew and grew and grew. Um, I just didn't know how to get out of my world. And I had actually, I was self-employed, but working with healthcare practitioners in a a specific segment. And I had been in the insurance industry of my entire career. And I had been applying for jobs. Um, thinking that was the solution was just go find a different industry and I came in number two at every single um, job interview that I had Um, literally at the 11th hours they're getting ready to make me a job offer the perfect candidate came to the table and I believe it was the universe's way of saying to me no this isn't where you need to be going we'll have it for you soon just be patient and uh, one morning I woke up um, 3.30 in the morning and uh, December 1st 2015 And I knew I needed to save my soul by leaving my world. And and I don't mean by suicide. I mean stepping out of my business world. Um, And I needed to quit that day. I literally felt as though I needed to save my soul. And I had no backup plan. I had no job offer. I didn't know what I was going to be doing. But I knew I needed to do it. It was very drastic. And it was literally a few days later in a meditation, because that's what I do when I'm all anxious 
just as I'll go in and, and meditate. I literally heard the words, um, you know what you need to do. You have the skills and experience to do it. Now go do it. And that was to create a new employee benefit program. You know, having been in the insurance industry and specializing in employee benefits, I knew how to create employee benefit programs. Um, that's what I'd done. And so I set out to create this new employee benefit program. But at the time, it was just for massage therapy. And a very wise woman um, advised me and said, you're setting your sights too low. And those six words, I think, were the catalyst that transformed everything in my life and um, were really what saved me at that point in time and helped me find my path because I set out to create this employee benefit program with any type of healing modality that somebody would constitute as wellness from chiropractors to acupuncturists to massage therapists, coaches, counselors. I even have a number of psychics in our plan. And the thing is, is that that wasn't my world. Um, yeah, I'm married to a massage therapist, but I had him. I had a Reiki practitioner in his office, a nutrition coach in his office, and my chiropractor. And that was my entire world of healers. That's all I knew. Um, and as I started connecting with health and wellness professionals and realizing that our two worlds had intersected so incredibly beautifully that what I was creating was what they had always wanted in their industry. And I just happened to be the catalyst for it. I, I think the idea just settled with me because I had the skills and experience, but they'd all thought of it too, that my world started growing and I started realizing all the beautiful healers that are out there. And literally I wasn't joking when I said, I was wondering where were you three years ago? Where were you, you know, seven years ago? Because I didn't know this world existed. And that became my mission is that if I felt that way, there were hundreds, thousands, millions of other people who feel the same way too, that have never deviated from their medical insurance that don't, they either don't know this world exists or they heard about it, but they're afraid to step into it and to educate them and to introduce them that it's not so scary. It really isn't. There's some amazing people over here. There's some amazing modalities and treatment options and um, ways to take care of yourself and explore who you are and life coaches that could help you find what your path is. Like I had been wandering around for so many years not knowing there was a path. There are people out there who, who've been through it and could guide me. And so it became my mission to help other people find these guides and introduce them to this world. So that was a huge part of my recovery was just having that, yeah, Denise, this is exactly what you're supposed to be doing. This is your path. This is the it that you have been searching for your entire life when you knew there was something else out there, but you didn't know what it was. This was it. And um, it's just been a beautiful journey and it's been so healing and it transformed me. I am not the same person I was on December 1st, 2015. I am far better than I was on December 1st. Um, I like who I am today. I couldn't have said that back then. Um, I, I love the, the, that I have a mind, that I have opinions, that I have a thought process, that I have a, uh, a desire to serve and create community and be a, an addition to this world that is of value as opposed to just existing in this world. 
And um, that's what saved me. I'm going to tell you right now. Uh, and I love it. And I love what we're creating. Uh, and when I say we, it's not just me and the mouse in my bra, as I normally say. It's me and all the beautiful healers that I have now been so graced to be around and get their energy and their input and and moving forward. Um, it's just a, it's an incredible life that I'm living. But I paid the price for it. And I... You know, there there was a price of admission, and um, and that was uh, you know losing my soul to find it again, and it's it's worth it. I love that you started your story with not knowing what your identity was beyond your career, mm-hmm. and now at what isn't the very end of your story, but the end as of this second your career is really a secondary piece to these values that you have recovered, which is community and connection and enjoying exploring your opinions and your thought process and all of the time that you spend in meditation or painting or doing these other self-care exploration activities is it's like, it's like you are seeing the whole kaleidoscope of who Denise is now instead of just that one little facet of it, right? Yep, I'm laughing because that's my word for 2019, kaleidoscope. That's right. I forgot about that. But of course, of course, that's the word. And that's the word that came yeah. to my mind was, yeah, to see you as a whole person, which is yeah. so beautiful and so important and relatable, I think, to our listeners. I want to explain kaleidoscope real quick because I think it's really important. Yeah. So I started out on, on a journey of, um, for 2019, I always like to pick a word every year. So for 2019, it had something to do with butterflies. It had something to do with that transformation of coming out of the cocoon and transforming into something more beautiful, more magical as the butterfly. And butterfly just didn't seem like the word that I needed. And I also was trying, I was focusing on tribe and that it's important for me to build my tribe. And as I was, Playing with other words for tribe, I came across um, the word for a cluster of butterflies. A group of butterflies is a kaleidoscope. And that was the word that was just like, that's everything about it. You twist and turn it. It's still beautiful. It's just a different picture now. But it's, you know, it's, it's this transformation by just making a little twist in your life. I love that. I That was a learning uh, thing for me. I didn't know that definition of kaleidoscope until I met I you. I didn't either. And yeah, and it's so it's so beautiful to think of our process and our lives and our connections in in that really relatable way of thinking of a whole bunch of butterflies and looking at all of the textures and the colors and the movement and yeah. all of that. That piece of it is certainly, certainly relatable and, and beautiful. Denise, can you explain a little bit more about what You Define Wellness does? Absolutely. So at the heart of You Define Wellness is a network of alternative, holistic health and wellness professionals, people like acupuncturists, chiropractors, um, optometrists, uh, dentists, nutritionists, coaches, counselors of all types, and we even have a few psychics on our plan. So just like a medical plan that it would exist to provide insurance if they didn't have a directory of physicians we don't exist without this network of health and wellness professionals and with this network we're able to do a few things um, the 
number one thing that we offer is an employee benefit plan. And we only do two things within it. One is provide on-site wellness education classes at the workplace. And these are classes taught by the experts. They're actually created by the experts, the health and wellness professionals. And then the other component of it is individual access to the services of choice. So the employees on our plan can select a service every single month. It's not like a medical plan where you can go all the time. Um, it is one service per month. And it's just really designed to get you doing something for yourself. So this month, maybe you do a massage. Next month, acupuncture. Maybe the next month, you work with a nutrition coach. You decide what it is. You define wellness for yourself. And then because we had individuals and uh, retirees and self-employed come to us and say that they wanted to play in our plan, they wanted it too, we had to come up with an option for them. It, we can't just transform the employee benefit plan for individuals. It doesn't work that way. So we are um, creating what's called the Healthy Living Savings Card, and it's for discounts on health and wellness products and services. So many of the providers in our network will offer a discount on their services. Um, we are bringing on board providers nationwide, uh, but we're also bringing on products that you could purchase online or in person at a retail store. So things like we have a CBD company. We have a, a gluten-free bakery coming on board, perhaps river rafting expeditions, um, jewelry, chakras, books. There's all kinds of different health and wellness products. And so we're building that new provider directory for just that product as well. So that's what you define wellness is. It's very simple. It's utilizing the independent uh, health and wellness professionals. And that is a key. We do not have franchises. We do not have the big box stores or conglomerates. We're supporting small business owners, the independent small business owners, um, by allowing them to be providers in, in this directory. And then we reach out to employers with the products. But it's just all about giving people access to that which they are using anyways or they want to use. I think this is such a needed thing in the world. I know so many people who want to be able to use that for themselves and as a wellness practitioner in in coaching or massage or yoga I hear that all the time from my clients that I want to do this more or I want to do this but I'm worried about paying out of pocket I wish that my insurance covered this this is really what helps me but my insurance money doesn't go here all kinds of of things like that and so I am so grateful that this work is being done and that we're starting to really launch it and it's and it's taking on um, lots and lots of attention of people because it's such a necessary thing that that we have wanted so if our yes. listeners want to connect to you and to you to find wellness how can they find out more or follow you or get involved um i always direct people to our website uh, and that's y-o-u define wellness so you define wellness.com and there you will learn anything that you want to learn about the company. Uh, it's, it's fully, I'm transparent. I'm just telling you almost everything there. And then, of course, we're on social media. And uh, all you have to do is search on your favorite social media platforms. And uh, maybe I shouldn't say your favorite social media platforms, but my favorite social <laughs> media platforms. <laughs> 
So we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, LinkedIn, uh, you know, the big ones. I'm not on some of the more trendy ones like Snapchat and things like that. That's beyond my tolerance level. Um, but you just search for you to find wellness and you will find us. But just remember, it's Y-O-U, Define Wellness. Perfect. Thank you so much for being with us today, Denise, for sharing your story, the kaleidoscope of, of who you are and relating it to the rest of humanity and for your work in the world. I really appreciate your gifts and for the vulnerability and strength that you show in, in sharing with us all. Well, thank you for having me on it. This has meant a lot to me. Want to learn more about overcoming adversity and embracing the full expression of yourself? Visit speakwithsierra.com and book a complimentary introductory session with Sierra today.